I'd have come out my traditional side, but they left it blocked there, Abby, so just be aware of that. Yeah, whoever our state, was it you? No. Oh. My rig? Is it my rig? No, not that. That's not blocking it. It's the hearbacks. Good morning, everybody. I tell you what, it's so good to see you guys. Forgive me, I'm a little bit under the weather today. Hopefully, I'm on the backside of it, but you're in the splash zone if I'm coughing and hacking and sneezing and just be warned. Uh, Hey, if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands so that you can follow along with us. Just raise your hand. Got a couple of guys poised, prepared, in the pocket, ready to hand it to you. If you don't need one, well, then that's fantastic as well. Sorry, guys. I'll try not to do that through the service. All right. Well, guys, uh, Billy did a a great job last week, didn't he? I love, I just love, uh, you know, being instrumental, if the Lord would allow, to help see these young men raised up and the baton passed on and discipling them. And you know what, man? I mean, we got to prepare the next generation, right? Because until the Lord comes back, we need to declare the gospel, stand firm in the truth, give people opportunity to serve. That's what we're all about, you know? And so it's great that you guys come and you support and encourage them in that way. But let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the uh, book of Isaiah. We're going to look today at the 33rd chapter. Uh, let's see if I can get there here. I thought I had it marked. There we go. Uh, in, a, in a message that I've entitled, A Prayer and a Promise. It's kind of the way the chapter outlines. But let's take our hearts <clears throat> to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for today. And we thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. And, and raise our hearts and our hands to you. And just give the fullness of who we are and to lay ourselves down at your feet and before your throne. We pray, O oh God, that you would minister and speak to us, challenge us and change us. God, give us ears to hear you and we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. We all say amen. amen. The last several weeks we've been covering this section in Isaiah that has six woes. And chapter 33 is the sixth in the section. Now, by way of reminder, at this point in Israel and Judah's history, Israel, the northern kingdom, has been essentially wiped off the map by their Assyrian invaders. Now, Assyria is showing no signs of slowing. Now they're tromping through Judah, the southern kingdom. They're making their way toward Jerusalem. And here in chapter 33, God gives Isaiah a word of woe or judgment to the nation of Assyria. And then he gives a precious promise to the nation of Judah. So let's turn our attention to the very first verse of the 33rd chapter. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered. And you who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. And when you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. Now you can kind of see it in your mind's eye, can't you? I mean, here's this unstoppable force, the Assyrian army, and they're pillaging and they're plundering and like nothing can get in their way. They've taken Israel. They've marched through all the fortified cities of Judah. They've taken taken them and nothing can stop them. And then God gives Isaiah a message. He says, no one or nothing can stop them. Listen, I'm going to stop them. You see, what Isaiah doesn't reference here, but you'll discover it in 2 Kings chapter 18, is that when Sennacherib, now who was Sennacherib? He was the king of the Assyrians. And when he took all these fortified cities, 
The king of Judah, Hezekiah, sent to him and said, look, just tell us what you want. What will it take for uh, for us to get you to leave us alone? We'll pay it. And so Sennacherib imposed a price upon Hezekiah. Hezekiah paid it, even to the extent that he went to the temple. He scraped all the gold off the doors and all the pillars, and he paid him off. But then after Sennacherib took the payment, this is why you never negotiate with terrorists, right? Uh, he, He went back on the deal. He came in anyway. He completely uh, ignored his word, and he's plundering, having not been plundered. He's dealing treacherously, though he has not been dealt with treacherously. And God essentially sends a message, your days are numbered, and I'm bringing all of this to an end. And at the end of your plundering, Sennacherib, you will be plundered, and you've dealt treacherously, therefore you will be dealt with treacherously. Guys, the world likes to call it karma. Uh, This providential force of some kind that gives back to you what you give to others. But the Bible refers to it as a spiritual law. It's called sowing and reaping. And we reap what we sow. And if we're generous toward others, others will be generous toward us. If we're always criticizing others, others will criticize us. And Jesus spoke of this same kind of principle with regard to the way we judge others. Now, he never said, people like to quote this, well, doesn't the Bible say judge not? We have, the Bible says a lot of things, but you got to keep the context. You can't just take a part apart from the whole, take two words and say, well, it says that. It does say that. But he never said it's wrong to acknowledge truth or to agree with what the Bible calls sin. Guys, that's not judgment. That's just agreeing with God's word. But people make judgments all the time. Today, I mean, you, you made a judgment to show up here. Thank you. You know, if you agree with what I say, you judge that I'm right. You disagree, you've judged I was wrong. Jesus simply said that the way we dole it out, we'll receive it back. He said this, judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Guys, God has every right to hold us to the same standard that we impose upon others, to deal with us the way we deal with others. Now, James echoed this same sentiment when he said, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Question, what sounds better to you, judgment or mercy? mercy. Well, judgment is without mercy if you show no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, of course, it's hard for us to hear those words without being reminded of these words. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God will deal with people the way people deal with others. To plunder is to be plundered. To deal treacherously is to be dealt with treacherously. Judgment is without mercy to those who show no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, blessed are the merciful. 
Guys, this is why we're exhorted not to avenge ourselves. Because God knows the whole situation. He understands what's going on thoroughly. He sees your circumstance, every situation with absolute, resolute clarity. And he will execute judgment perfectly. Write this down. Memorize it later. Romans chapter 12. Write it down. Memorize it later. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. I'm not going to share it with you. I'm going to let you look it up. In verse 2 of chapter 33, O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee and when you lift yourself up, the nation shall be scattered and your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar as the running to and fro of locusts, he shall run upon them. So he goes from pronouncement in verse 1 to prayer in verse 2. Oh Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Guys, I'm already in love with this prayer. For two reasons. Number one, if you've been with us, you remember, you'll, you'll recall that Judah had been trusting in foreign relations, right? They had reached out to, to Egypt. They had tried to make a deal with Sennacherib and all of this. No longer are they looking to Egypt. No longer are they trusting in themselves. They've turned to the Lord. And guys, this is where we want to be. Not looking to the world, not trusting in our own strength or our own merit, but looking to trusting in the Lord. We have waited, oh God, for you, right? Number two, Isaiah is not crying out for justice. Any of you want justice in your life? Say no. <laughs> Look, he definitely doesn't want what they deserve. The cry is for grace. Did you see that? It is by grace that we're saved through faith. And guys, this is the essential cry of verse 2, that God might save them by grace. He says, God, you be our arm, that is our strength, every morning and our salvation also in time of trouble. They're finally in that place where God would have us all to be. Again, waiting on him, trusting in him. God, you are our strength day by day, every day, and our salvation. Can you say that? God, you are my strength. You are my salvation every day, day by day. And when you lift yourself up, the nations will be scattered. I love the confident expectation in this statement. Because from every appearance, if you were to rewind history, if you could be there observing like in an aerial perspective, you see what you would find is that from every appearance right now, the enemy is one. I mean, he's surrounding them on every side. But there's a sense here in which Isaiah is trusting in that reality. Nothing will be impossible for God. Isaiah is trusting in advance that God is going to move on their behalf. You know, I think oftentimes our prayers are filled with trust in God's ability. Listen to me but not so much with a sense of expectancy. God would have us trust 
not only that he can move on our behalf, but that in fact he will move on our behalf. And not in some weird way that makes us subservient to him, but that when we've aligned ourselves with his word, his heart, his will, we should expect to see him move. Ladies and gentlemen, not so much for our gain, but for his glory. And in verse 4, Isaiah says that they're trusting God for the total decimation of the enemy. As he says, the running to and fro of the locust. Guys, I got a question. What happens to a lush, fruitful crop after a swarm of locusts comes through? Well, there's nothing left. It's total ruin. It's total decimation. And that's what's going to happen to the Assyrian army. We'll see it in a few chapters. Total ruin. And their treasures left to plunder. The people of Jerusalem will be like the swarm of locusts that just cleans them out, is what he's saying. Now, in verse 5, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So we've already seen that Isaiah has established a sense of expectancy, yes? Now he's continuing to build upon that, offering thanksgiving in advance. He writes, he, that is God, has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Guys, quick question, show of hands. How many of you realize that you don't have to wait for God to do something to thank him for what he said he will do. Guys, too often, and I, I just, too often, we withhold thanksgiving from God. You know, we feel like we need to wait on him to move, and then we can offer him thanks in retrospect for what he's done. Can you imagine treating people like that? I mean, there you are, and uh, you're broke down on the side of the road. And so what do you do? You phone a friend and you say, man, I'm stuck here, you know, between Joplin and Springfield or Joplin and Tulsa. Pick your direction. I don't care. And, uh, and I don't know what to do. I'm broke down on the side of the road. And so your friend says, hey, you know what? I'm calling a tow truck. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to have it taken to the shop and I'm going to drive out there and I'm going to pick you up and bring you home safe. What are you going to say to your friend? I mean, are you going to say, well, you know, I kind of feel like maybe I want to give you thanks, but I'm, I'm not going to do that yet. I mean, after all, you said you'd do those things, but I haven't seen you yet. And so, I mean, all things being equal, I'm going to withhold my thanks till my car's in the shop, the bill's been paid, and I'm safe at home. What kind of jerk move is that? I mean, I'm telling you, you're going to be thanking your friend. You're going to be singing the praises of your friend. You're going to be declaring the faithfulness of your friend. And they haven't even gotten off the couch yet. But you trust in their word. 
how much more should we trust the promises of the word of God and give him thanks and sing his praises, declare his faithfulness before we ever see him do a thing. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not a man that he should lie. If he says it, he'll make it good. We can trust his word. We can give him thanks. We can sing his praise. Thank you. That's a great place for you to say amen. Come on. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to try it again. He's not a man that he should lie. If he says it, he'll make it good. You can trust his word. Give him thanks and sing his praise. Come on. There you go. Now, look at verse 6 and underline it. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. Wow. What a word in due season. In the ever-shifting instability and volatility of our times. What is it that you need to experience stability? To remain firm in this unstable climate to which you have been called. What serves as the strength that is the sufficiency, the, uh, the abundance from which with you draw, the super sufficiency, we might say, of your salvation? He says it. Did you see it? Wisdom and knowledge. Listen, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And again, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Guys, the scripture references were just too, too vast for our time. I cannot emphasize enough the essential need for you and for me that we would pursue wisdom and knowledge. It will anchor you. It will bring stability to you in the ever-shifting sands of this culture to which God has called us. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The Bible says that he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. Think about that. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. A couple of ways people interpret this line. I think there's validity either way. Uh, One would be that the treasure of wisdom and knowledge that makes for your stability is found in the fear of the Lord. Another would be that the fear of the Lord is a treasure that he gives to us. Like how many of you realize the treasure of the fear of the Lord? I mean, that we might honor him and rightly revere him. Again, guys, I think too often we like to envision God as like our buddy. You know, we really don't revere him. We don't have a proper sense of awe regarding him. We think that if God were to maybe manifest that we might run up and high five him for all the great things he's done. You know, we don't understand the holy and awesome nature of who he truly is but a proper fear of God will keep us safe will keep us stable the Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean I always love that I gravitate toward that at times in other words the fear of the Lord will keep you from doing dumb stuff you know the fear of the Lord will motivate you to lead a godly life to serve him to honor him to obey him 
Now, one less popular interpretation, but I'm going to lean into it a little bit because it's true whether it was intended here or not, is that they who fear the Lord are His treasure. You know, Isaiah has been speaking of the plunder that Israel will take from Assyria. But did you know that the treasure of the Lord is those who fear Him? You, child of God, are His treasure. Uh, you need to know that. You need to know how much God loves you, how much God values you. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, if you study the parables, what you come to discover is that the field is the world, okay? And the man who gave all that he had, who sold everything that he might purchase the field, is Jesus. And he redeemed the whole earth. He, he, he redeemed all of it that he might extract out of it the treasure that is you and me. And Paul, in praying for the Ephesian church, prayed that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Look, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Someone needs to hear this today. God loves you. And he values you. And you are a treasure to him. And he has given everything for you. Now, look at verse 7. Surely their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is shamed and shriveled. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now, I suppose we could get into some detail here of how the valiant and those who sought for peace by trusting Egypt and the arm of the flesh, they'll weep bitterly. Guys, ultimately what I want you to see here is a hopeless situation in these verses. The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. The cities are destroyed. Jerusalem is surrounded. He has broken the covenant. The Assyrian king went back on his word. Egypt was no help at all. The earth mourns and languishes. Hope in anything else and everyone else is lost. Do you see the scene? Now look at verse 10. Now I will rise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up, and you shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you, and the people shall be like burnings of lime, like thorns cut up, they shall be burned in the fire. Hear you who are afar off what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might, underlying that. We go from the pronouncement to the prayer to the promise. God says, now I will rise. Here's what I want you to see, guys, because it's a fairly common response with God. I want you to know that God is never late, that God is always right on time. However, he often waits until we've exhausted every resource, every recourse, each and every option outside of Him. Then, when He does what only He can do, 
He alone gets the glory. Okay? You might write this down. Man's extremities are God's opportunities. Now, wait, what, what was it you said last week, Billy? If, is it, if it's emphasis, you got to say it twice? Something like that? Oh, say it profound. You say something profound, you got to say it twice. Okay. Man's extremities are God's opportunities. Perhaps you recall when Gideon had 32,000 soldiers with him and, and they were poised, they were prepared, man, they were ready to fight 135,000 Midianites. That's pretty incredible. That's like over four to one are the odds there. But according to God's count, Gideon had too many. And so I'll make the long story short, but he didn't want, God didn't want them to gain a victory and think, wow, we really did something great. I mean, we were really valiant and uh, look at our ability. And so God reduced the army of Gideon ultimately down to 300 men. The odds were absurd. They were impossible. They were over 400 to 1. And then God took those 300 and divided them into three companies. But when the victory came, everyone knew it was God who moved, not Gideon. It was to God who went the glory because great things he had done. The Assyrians had all sorts of plans. They were, we might say, pregnant with ways by which they were going to conquer Jerusalem. God tells them they've conceived chaff. They're bringing forth stubble. They'll be devoured like thorns in the fire. And then the Jew and Gentile alike, those afar off and those who are near. The far off would be the Gentile. The Jew would be the near. will acknowledge God's might. We're to recognize and honor the work of God in our midst and on our behalf. Can I say that again? We're to acknowledge, we're to recognize, we're to honor the work of God in our midst and on our behalf. In verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hand refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Now, guys... In coming out of 1 John, we just came out of 1 John, and we learned there that God is light, that in Him there is no darkness at all. We also learned that God is love. The Bible also declares that our God is a consuming fire. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire, with everlasting burnings? Guys, I want you to know there are none, there are none who escape the devouring fire of God. The question is, will it consume us or will it consecrate or purify us? Well, it all depends, doesn't it? Are we standing on our own merits, our own works, our own lists of do's and don'ts? Or are we founded upon the rock that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Now, <coughs> excuse me. In verses 15 and 16, guys, 
Don't, listen, don't drift out on me here. We're getting ready to come up on some stuff that I really need you to hear. In verses 15 and 16, we have a list of attributes that survives the fire. Now, don't see them as what you need to survive. See them as the result, the evidence of having what you need. It is the fruit, okay? It is the outcropping of a relationship with God, walking righteously. And I want you to take special note, underline the next one, and speaks uprightly. He will dwell on high. Family, we live in a culture that is absolutely, intentionally immersed in touchy topics. Do you understand what I'm saying? Topics that trigger division. Uh, topics that create explosive reactions and hostility. Guys, it could be the topic of abortion. It could be CRT, critical race theory. It could be DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It could be white privilege. It could be Black Lives Matter. It could be a sexual expression and identity. It could be the LGBTQIA2S+, which means lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and or questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and the countless affirmative ways in which people choose to self-identify. And here's what I want you to hear. Many believers are either afraid or perhaps misinformed or uneducated or maybe just confused on how to handle these situations. And some want desperately to believe something to be true, meaning that it's okay to maybe lead a certain lifestyle that the Bible clearly articulates that God is not okay with because it's, it's based in abolishing truth and distorting and disfiguring and debasing his creation. You and me, we've all been created in the image of God, you see. But listen to me. What people need is for us to be bold and to speak the truth in love. Because lies and deception will entangle and ensnare a soul. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And love demands truth. Listen to me. Our problem is the fear of man. We're afraid to hurt feelings. We're afraid to risk being ostracized. And I understand that. I really do. But I wonder how many children who are five or six, eight, ten, maybe twelve years old today, who are being indoctrinated rather than educated in our school systems will rise up in judgment against our generation. How many will look back and languish saying, where were the adults to defend us? To stand in the gap and fight for us. We were five. We were ten years old. We didn't know we trusted our teachers. We were told all manner of perversion is normal. That I might be a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. We can, we can start, you know, this uh, chemical treatment, these puberty blockers. It's all normal. Family, it's not normal. It's an affront to God and we need to fear God more than we fear man. Amen. Silence is compliance. Tacit behavior will be held accountable. I got to tell you, that scares me. What is tacit 
approval. It means when I understand something, but I say nothing, okay? Like, I recognize something is wrong, I know something's not right, but I choose silence. And my silence is taken for approval. Now, God speaks to this in Numbers chapter 30. And in Numbers chapter 20, there's a detail that's often overlooked, And it's the scene, how many of you are familiar with the scene where Moses strikes the rock twice and he misrepresents God? Hold up your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. And God tells him he won't enter the promised land because of that. You remember that? But what many people don't pick up on, and and I I don't know if I want to, we're running low on time. Um, Well, the whole thing is, is that why, why was the big problem with striking the rock? Because he was told to strike the rock the first time, right? The second time he was to speak to it. And the idea is, is that the rock, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that that rock was Christ. And Jesus was only struck once. When he was struck, right, the the waters flowed from the rock. Salvation came. Now that he's borne the wrath of God, now that he's been struck on our behalf, you and me, we only need to speak to the rock and the waters will flow. You just need to ask God and he will save you, you see. Jesus was only struck once. He died once for all. And Moses ruined the type when he hit the rock again. You don't, Jesus doesn't need to be struck again. He just merely needs to be, to be asked. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. So he's out there and you rebels must we, and he takes the rod, right? Whack, and he strikes the rock. Now, guys, when he did that, because what many people don't pick up on is that God tells Aaron the same thing. Okay, so in other words, when God tells Moses that he's to speak to the rock, Moses and Aaron are both in the hearing of the instruction. Are you with me? And it's in verse 12 of Numbers chapter uh, 20. And God tells uh, Aaron that when Moses struck the rock twice, that now Aaron is not able to go into the promised land. Because Moses misrepresented God. And you go, wait. Why, why is Aaron held accountable for what Moses did? I'm going to tell you why. It's because he knew what God told Moses to do. And he, know, he knew that God told Moses to speak to the rock. Out of nowhere, again, Moses gets whipped up into this frenzy. Thwack! And he hits the rock. I, we're going to give Aaron that one. He probably didn't see it coming. He, he, whoa, what just happened? But when Moses drew that rod back the second time, that was Aaron's cue. Right then he should have said, whoa, 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 brother, what are you doing? This is not right. This is not what God has said. And he should have stood in the gap. And he should have spoke. He should have used his words. He should have said, don't do this. He stayed silent. That is tacit approval. Listen to me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful and they are deadly. He who knows, the New Testament equivalent would be this, he who knows to do what is right and does not do it, to him it is what? Say it out loud. Sin. There are sins of commission, sins that we commit, and then there are sins of omission. Omission. 
when we know what's right and we don't do it? Who will stand in defense for the unborn? Who will stand in defense? Use your words. Speak up rightly to combat evil and stave off the oppression that is being heaped upon our children and our grandchildren. And this is why, guys, this is why, don't tune out, this is why the big push, the exhortation, you know, for Christians to not shop at Target and all of that, because Target has linked arms. I want you to see this picture. Bring this picture up. You know who that is? That is a woman, by the way. It is a woman by the name, well, I don't know what her actual name is, but goes by Eric Carnell, a woman who had a double mastectomy. Uh, who obviously went on the hormones. Look at what her shirt says. Satan respects pronouns or something like that. I can't see it, but I think that's what it says. This is the person who Target linked arms with, this trans man who is an uh, open and active Satan worshiper. And this is the person who designed all the apparel, the children's apparel that Target is sporting for Pride Month. And you can take that down. But this is, this is why you see people standing up for our children and standing up for the unborn, those who can't speak up for themselves, those who cannot defend themselves. It's Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, New Living Translation. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And again, guys, I know, I know that I am walking on divisive ground with these things. I know these are touchy topics. Listen, I fear God. Do you understand that? And one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to have to give an answer for our actions, listen to me, or our inaction. I hope you're hearing my heart with this. He who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hand, refusing bribes. You know what that means? Guys, and this is, this is all, it, it all relates to you know, and, and I know sometimes if you guys follow me on social media and stuff, I know sometimes it looks like I'm kicking a hornet's nest and it's never my intention. I just want to, I just, the Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, you know. And, um, and you see all these, these corporations going to all this, I'm just going to say woke ideology and stuff. And it's, it's because they want, you know, they've got investors, they've got supporters, they've got, if they want to make money, they've got it. Uh, here's what this means. He who despises the gain of oppression, who gestures with his hand, refusing bribes. You know what that means? It means some things are more important than money, ladies and gentlemen. Earthly gain is temporary. We're to live with a view toward eternity. Verse 16, if you honor God, God will honor you. You know, it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfectly on this planet. This is not our home. But ultimately, eternally, God will bless you. Now, 
Verse 17, how will he bless you? Look at this. Your eyes, underline it, will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will meditate. Uh, your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people. Uh, you, a people of obscure speech beyond perception of stammering tongue that you cannot uh, understand. Sorry, I read that kind of weird. My mind is still reeling, you know, in that, from all that. But, but here's the thing, verse 17, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Then there is a sense in which Hezekiah would fulfill that as a foreshadow, but ultimately we see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Your eyes, your eyes will see the king of kings in his beauty. Hallelujah. Come on. Now, today we get a glimpse of him occasionally, obscurely, as though viewing through a glass darkly, the Bible says. But one day your eyes will see him, somebody give God praise, with perfect clarity. Family, heaven is precious for many reasons, reuniting with loved ones, to to see and know the saints of old, uh, angels around the throne, the streets of gold so pure that they're clear, pearly gates, all the rest. But I want you to know what makes heaven Heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of our Lord. And to see the king in his beauty will be the greatest experience of your eternal existence. Now, verse 18 is to the Assyrians. God is like speaking to Israel, Assyria, Israel, Assyria. It's kind of going back and forth. And he says that uh, the battle strategists, those who count towers, those who weigh things out, their efforts in waging war will be in vain. Verse 19 is to Judah. Assyria will not overtake you, but God will deliver them. Now, in verse 20, guys, we're not far from finished. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see. Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed. Of course, this points ultimately to the the millennial kingdom, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there, the majestic Lord will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams in which no galley with oars will sail, uh, nor majestic ships pass by. Again, we're looking here at the millennial uh, kingdom of Christ. There will actually be a geographic change that takes place when Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives. The Bible speaks to this and splits it in two and a river will one run through and heal the Dead Sea and life will teem and this and that. But he's saying it'll only be peace. There'll be no naval affronts, no attacks, nothing's coming upon the city. Just peace and prosper. I'm sorry you guys, we're working on that. Just peace and prosper. It's too late to switch now. We're almost done. I brought another pack. We were afraid that might happen, but, uh, but now we're just going to finish up. Matter of fact, uh, Karen, if you want to come on down, we're going to read the final couple of verses here. Um, for the Lord is our, go ahead and underline verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. Come on. He will save us. Your tackle is loose. They could not strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of the great plunder is divided. The lame take the prey, and the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. But the people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. 
the Lord is our king, he will save us. Forgiveness, it's our greatest need. And God has extended his right hand of forgiveness. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Are we good? God has extended the right hand of his forgiveness in the person of his son who has loved you and given himself for you. Guys, I want us to just go ahead. Let's bow our hearts. And I'm just going to read this psalm to you. And I'd encourage you guys, we've heard a lot today. But I'd encourage you as the scripture exhorts us to acknowledge his might. Give him thanks for the great things that he has done in redeeming you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. And you alone have accomplished this immeasurable victory for us in the person of your Son. We bless you. We thank you. We honor you. God, give us boldness. You've said in your word that the righteous are as bold as a lion. Teach us to stand up, to speak out, to give people what they need, the truth in love, that people might be set free. And so, God, we're just praying over this generation. And we pray, God, that you'd be glorified in this place, that you'd be glorified in our lives. And guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I don't know, maybe everyone here knows Jesus. You've experienced forgiveness. I think that's wonderful. But I, I just don't want to take that for granted. If you haven't experienced God's forgiveness, I, I would say don't put it off another day. Take the time right now to surrender completely and absolutely to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Trust in Him and be saved. <coughs> and so if that's you, if God's reaching out to you in the person of Jesus Christ, if you're feeling that sense, that's that tug on your heart, he's knocking on the door of your heart, and today you're ready to open it and say, Lord Jesus, come on in. I, I want to pray for you. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I'm not asking you to join this church. There's only one church. You're either part of it or you're not. But I'm saying if you need Christ to come into your life and make you new, then now's your moment. Don't miss it. I don't care who you've come here with. I don't care what circumstances has found you here. The thing is, is you're here because God has ordained that he wants to speak to you and give this opportunity to you to be saved. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't be shy about it. Jesus went to the cross for you. You just raise your hand and say, you know what? This moment's for me. I need Christ to come into my life right here, right now. I ain't going to miss this moment. 
And if I see your hand, I'll say so and you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second here. Anybody at all? Today is the day of salvation for you. Come on, man. I'm, I'm just saying. Don't miss it. I can only guarantee you now. I can't guarantee you later, okay? So it's your call. Okay. All right. Okay, Father, I just pray that you would continue to uh, speak to and root your word in the heart of each individual here. And we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that your word never returns void, but that you will always see to it that it accomplishes the purpose for which you've sent it forth. And I pray that your word would find good soil in our hearts today, surrounded in love, bringing forth fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, amen. Why don't we rise to our feet? God is good. All the time. Ladies and gentlemen, may the Lord bless you. And may he be with you. May he pour his spirit out upon you. Yeah, I need every leader every time. Come on down. These people want to pray for you, whatever your need may be. That's why we gather down here just to encourage you. Maybe there's some things you're going through. Maybe there's some things in your family. Like I said, guys, the, the, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, the identity issues between like, you know, uh, the LGBT and all of that. I'm telling you guys, that's the community today that the hippies were back in like the 60s and 70s. They're just, they're searching. They need truth. They, you know, they need identity and our identity is in Christ, right? Um, but the, it's, it's gone up like the identification of this generation into that uh, culture, like, like by 30 or 40%. It's, it's just really spiraling, and I, you know, and I really believe we're living in the last days. I think that I think that people's souls are in the balance, and there's like a there's a tug of war, and and this generation needs someone who will stand up and 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 just love on them, and show them the truth. And uh, you know, I pray the Lord start here. But may God bless you and be with you, and may He give His heart to you, and uh, may His word dwell richly in you. May you and. And may you just be wise as serpents. Yes, we've got the gentle as doves part down, I think. That wise as serpent parts kind of escapes us sometimes. Get in the Word. Let God's Word get in you. He'll speak to your heart. I guarantee it. If you want to know a little bit about what our hopes and plans are with regard to this little add-on and stuff, give us about five minutes. I'll let those of you who aren't worried about it or don't want to know about it, which is no problem, uh, give you a chance to do a little bit of fellowship, clear out, empty your bladder, whatever you need to do. Uh, give us about five minutes, and then we'll come in. And I just want about ten minutes of your time. I'm not going to take long. I'm just going to share with you what it is, what it might 
you know, run into cost-wise and, and uh, the phases we can do and what it looks like and all that. And then I'll let you go. You can pray over it, all right? So, Father, thank you so much just for uh, your word today. We pray, God, now that you would uh, ordain our steps and, uh, Lord, just lead us in the way that we should go. And uh, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Surely you are good and you are greatly to be praised. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Blessings to you guys. Have a wonderful week in front of you. Uh, you can leave this on, I'll mute it and I'll use it.